0: Bad news on the street. Bad news on my car. Bad news on my feet, Bad news out the bar, all over my clothes.
1: Good morning. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update this morning. Good morning, Drew.
2: Good morning, Alicia. You're
1: looking shockingly well rested.
2: It's a mirage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had one day off?
2: I finished a bunch of nights yesterday morning.
1: Yeah. So you're going to be super coherent?
2: Uh, well, we'll see. Okay, yeah. good. As coherent as usual.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: that's that's good. That's fine. <laughs> that's enough. We'll go with that. Coherent um, enough.
1: I mean, yeah. considering what's going on in the emergency I'm room and in the just, hospital.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to try to avoid any quotable phrase.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are getting some traction with your...
2: Quote. My knight in shining armor? Yes. yes.
1: You called yes. Omicron a knight in shining armor like yeah. two years ago. <laughs> And it was on the front page of the Press Democrat on Sunday. How do you do it?
2: How do I do what?
1: Get people to pay attention to You things. say
2: something silly like that, and boy, <laughs> people latch on to it. Yeah.
1: So this is the local coronavirus update. We're here. Um, we've been doing this weekly now um, because of Omicron. For two years. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's this pandemic going on. Uh, we are going to open up the phone lines as soon as we get an update. Um, and the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. But first, let's hear how things are going at the, at the hospital, Drew
2: yeah so here's my take um i've worked i think five five or six shifts since the last week show um and we have seen an enormous number of omicron um in the er in the community um, patients coming in with other things, uh, things unrelated to COVID, um, who are incidentally testing positive. That's very common. Um, so, you know, somebody comes in with appendicitis, and we test them for Omicron before they go to surgery, and, or we test them for COVID, and sure enough, they have COVID as well. Um, not symptomatic, but it just reflects the very high positivity that we're seeing in the county right now, or in the state, or in the nation, for that matter. Uh, so it's it's amongst us in a markedly high level. I think we in this county we had 450 cases reported yesterday to the state. Um, the county hasn't updated the dashboard since before the three-day weekend, so we don't have any new data from them. Um, after friday but as of friday we had added 538 cases since last week's show uh, bringing our total up to 9720 i think we could effectively double that uh, at this point if those not numbers more are so.
1: unfathomable to me like 500 cases in a couple days
2: yeah, or 450, 450 in one day yesterday? in a county of 85 thousand so that's one half of one percent contracted covid in one day
1: where are these cases coming
2: from they're everywhere covid's all around us yeah it's like christmas <laughs> <laughs>
1: just the gift of covid
2: <laughs> yeah. um
1: are they i mean is it kids and school is it it's the Valley? it's, it's, it's everywhere everything. it's everywhere
2: and everything um the good news um is that the vast majority of people are really not getting very sick um and that's really what we've been seeing with omicron across the board is you know a high high case uh, rate with a much lower uh rate of people getting acutely ill um maybe sort of looking at some of the national numbers maybe some kids are getting a bit more sick with omicron than we would have expected or disproportionately more kids when compared to adults but even still it's it's a much more benign illness in general um still still not to be um, tr- trifled with particularly amongst the an- unvaccinated um but for those of us who have been vaccinated and particularly for those of us who have been vaccinated and boosted it's you know it's a mild illness um honestly The bad news um, is that when you add 450 cases a day and the statewide, the nationwide trends are that high, that even if only a very small fraction of those people get acutely ill, it's driving hospitalization rates um, not through the roof. We're still below the peak that we were last January with the big surge that we saw last January and February. So hospitalization rates in the state of California are below that peak, but they're still climbing um, because hospitalization tends to occur, you know, days seven through 14 of an illness. Um, I think, um, actually, that we're probably going to get through this without being completely buried. Uh, When I say buried, I'm talking about the chaos that ensued in New York, you know, early on in the pandemic, or even Los Angeles last January, Los Angeles based in Southern California, that went into sort of a full chaos mode. Um, I don't Think we're going to get to that point i think we're actually going to skate through on the thinnest of ice um but it is very thin to be sure i had to you know on friday i was told by our transfer center i was trying to transfer a patient out for example and i was told literally that we have no beds um in the state of california for that patient's needs not one they looked at the entire state so that
1: seems like we fell through the ice
2: yeah We hadn't fallen through yet um, because we still had the capacity to take care of that patient's needs. Not in an ideal fashion, but in an adequately good fashion here in the county. Um, And then by Sunday night, I was transferring people out. Beds beds were available. Oddly, bizarrely. Maybe it was a blip, maybe it's an aberration, Um, but I think that the data is ultimately going to show that we are right about at our Omicron peak in California. Uh Um, Mendocino County might be lagging a little bit, so we might hit our Mendo peak, uh, you know, a few days from now. But for the state of California, we either have peaked or we are about to peak. It could be a little bit bimodal, um, but the East Coast, which was omicron precocious if you will um yes it's it's trending down and you know it's starting to do that last week but the data is much clearer now that that is in fact real um and so they're starting to see case counts drop hospitalization is still going to climb um probably for the next week there um and then deaths will climb you know for the next week after that but it's it's starting to look like we are in fact improving
1: Uh, when you talk about that you mean statewide and nationwide but it seems like these peaks are happening in different places depending on where you live in the country
2: yeah so i mean it's not it's not you know it's not a smooth map um but if you if you plot off the points on the curve um the one the states in new england are generally on the downhill slide of a very sharp um bell-shaped curve um and California looks like we're right at the top of a very peaked roller coaster ride um we're about to start seeing the cases drop um and they'll probably drop fairly precipitously um over the course of the next two weeks I imagine when we come back on our next show February 1st that it's going to be a very different picture I hope um but you know time again will tell
1: Right. And and our way down the roller coaster is sort of going to mirror our way back up or our way up. Right. So it's still going to be pretty higher than normal positive numbers for a while oh
2: yeah well i, I don't what's normal anymore right? right i mean that's the question for all of us but uh right now we're talking we're in this county where our average is 200 cases per hundred thousand per day 200 so uh, control in a pandemic you want to get the number under one uh, per hundred thousand and we're at 200 so you know it's we're a long way from anything, um, but boy, we're getting a lot of immunity all at once, which you know brings me to that that shining knight. You were just
1: reminding me of the knight in shining armor quote. <laughs> Is
2: it though? Well, it's. In this, in the context of a pandemic that we have been unable to control either nationally or globally in any sort of way uh, that is coherent and successful, um, this is a benign turn of events or a relatively benign turn of events, right? We are seeing, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people getting infected every week in this country with containable um, strain on the re- on the healthcare resources and fairly limited limited. limited morbidity and mortality now it's it's devastating to be sure um, but omicron fortunately is much more benign than the previous strains and we have much more immunity and we have much better treatment modalities so we are driving quickly toward a fairly robust immunity nationwide and globally, frankly, um, with cost to be sure. But in the context of complete failure as a globe to cont- you know to treat our own citizens and take care of our own health, um, this is probably um, the best outcome that we could have hoped for. The The reality, of course, is we're looking at, you know, millions of new cases a day and the next strain could be something worse and evade the immunity that we have developed either through vaccination or through infection. Mm. We don't know that that's that's a risk to be sure. Um, But, yeah, well, time will tell.
1: And then the next step uh, is this becomes endemic. Yes. Yes. What what does that future look like for us?
2: Well, it'll look like. It'll look like any cold or flu season future, right? So we're going to, re- next year, I hope, if we don't have another strain that sort of circles the globe in some ferocious way, you know, we'll have surges of COVID, uh, whether it's Omicron or the next Greek letter down the alphabet, I don't know. Um th- That will that will circulate but we will have immunity um you know as a population that's much better even than it is right now and certainly better than it was a year ago Um, and we will have better treatment modalities uh, for those people who are unlucky enough to get that version of covid and get symptomatically sick it will become much like the other viral respiratory illnesses that circulate amongst us every cold and flu season So
1: one of the things about Omicron is it apparently is not... Really able to be picked up as well in the home tests. Like the home tests aren't quite as reliable and in, in, in yeah, it's finding it, it.
2: It's not super clear, frankly. The home test, the the sort of the PCR, anti, I'm sorry, the antigen tests, um,
1: are little, like drippy, like the pregnancy test. You drip it in the little the, yeah, so it's different. The little line. You have
2: either the ice cream cone sort of stripy thing, or you do a little vial. <laughs> I mean, it's it depends which kit you buy, um, but. They don't. It's not entirely clear, frankly. Um, the the hope is that the the thought amongst some is that you're actually testing uh, how much viral load you have in your nasal passages, which per, should correlate to your degree of contagiousness or infectiousness. And so, you know, if you have a negative test, you probably don't have a lot of virus hanging out where you just got, uh, swabbed yourself. Um, and so that's probably fairly reliable. Now the PCR is much more accurate, and it can pick up much lower or um viral loads and give you a positive um that might seem like it's more accurate but whether that actually correlates to real world experience it's not clear so i have nothing to um i I really don't have criticisms of the home antigen test i think they're fairly good and should certainly guide one sense of infectiousness at this point well quite as good as they were with delta i maybe but for guiding sort of real world decisions as to what you can do and whether you're now free and clear of your viral you know, load, I, I think they're good enough.
1: So it's about the amount of virus in the nose rather than Omicron being able to escape detection in some way?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not going to escape. If you have it, it's going to show up positive on the antigen test You know, 95% of the time, I and mean, that's about how good those tests are, which in the setting of 450 cases a day in the yeah. county, that is good enough, right?
1: But it's so. also going to give rise to anecdotal
2: stories of,
1: oh, I got a false positive. Oh, yeah,
2: there will be anecdotes. There's yeah, enough I, I, I know somebody who got vaccinated and the next day he
1: crashed his car.
2: Can oh, you imagine? Yeah. So the
1: vaccine caused Probably. the car crash? Yeah. Amazing. Yep. I haven't heard that. You better register that one. Yes, the national am, I'm database. reporting that immediately. Um, the other issue, of course, is healthcare workers getting sick. Yes. Staffing, uh, <laughs> the ability to actually have hospitals and health care centers here if people... In who are working there are getting sick what's it what's it look like with that
2: so far um it's been tight um but we have sustained staffing levels um it's you know there's a fairly there's a very high degree of vaccine uptake not quite as high as you'd like you want it to be 100 percent but it's in the mid 90s in this county which is pretty good um and we have been careful enough with masking and hand washing and taking all the usual precautions. I mean, we really are saturated with COVID at this point in the hospital. Um, you know, there are COVID patients, you know, every, you know, you look at the, the whiteboard or the big, you know, the big TV screen that every ER has across the country and you'll see COVID on the whole asterisk, you know, designating somebody as positive with COVID, you know, eight or nine or 10 or 12 rooms are COVID positive at times. It's, you know, there is a lot of COVID in the hospital. And and yet you know with the precautions at least locally we have been able to maintain staffing without crisis it's been it's been nip and tuck okay
1: so yeah. still right on right on the edge yep.
2: but Thin ice. On this side thin ice. of the edge, yeah. but to be sure, I mean, we are rationing healthcare, right? We talk about you know, a, you know, a single payer healthcare system, and people you know rant and rave about how that's going to lead to rationing. We are rationing right now. I mean, some of these treatment modalities, some of which are very, very good, um, are not available for the most of us. Uh, we are keeping them in reserve for the people who are at highest risk. Um, that is happening nationwide. That is happening right now in this county. Um, so rationing is here. Um, Rationing's always been amongst us, but it's never been quite so overt as mm-hmm. when I call the pharmacy and they tell me no that's not meeting the the requirements the protocolized requirements for release of that drug for that patient
1: where do those requirements come from who's deciding who gets the treatment and who doesn't
2: well locally it's being decided by um, you know the adventist healthcare care uh, medical officers um, who are trying to come up with a you know an evidence-based standard for dispersal of restricted drugs um, and so we have, we have risk factors and age it takes into a lot of different uh, considerations as to how we may expect somebody to do with COVID um, and we weigh that with how much of a particular drug we Have on hand in the supply chain. You know, we had Paxlovid, which is this um, Fairly good or what appears to be a fairly good drug uh, in the local pharmacy and we quickly ran out of it And as of, you know, this weekend we continue to be out of it Um, So that's not even an option anymore the monoclonals as of Sunday I think we had two doses left Mm. Um, So, you know, the, the drugs that we had you know, hoped would be here but really when we looked at sort of the surge coming back in November and December or really December this has all been very fast um, we knew that Paxlovid and the monoclonals weren't going to ramp up in time um, to meet the surge it just was too quick.
1: Sounds too like the, our rapid test uh, we're going to get all these rapid tests from the federal government in two weeks or three weeks.
2: Yes Yes.
1: Because we're just totally like, behind the curve like on it's, all this you're stuff.
2: you're in a flood, and the help arrives once the water recedes. Right,
1: the rafts show up <laughs> on a truck
3: <laughs> two weeks later. Yes, and
2: you're sitting in mud, yes. Yeah, hopefully you're sitting in mud.
1: Right. Um, that would be the best outcome. <laughs> would a knight in shining armor, would a real knight in shining armor uh, be universal health care?
2: Yes. It would be nice. It would be nice. Right? Yeah. It would, it would cut down on these enormous costs that we spend on healthcare that do not have anything to do with healthcare delivery um just the the billing and the uh, the administration and sort of the collateral costs of these empires of um healthcare profits that drive these massive healthcare and drug companies across the country they have nothing to do with delivery of healthcare they are just extracting profit from the healthcare industry um and a universal healthcare system much like the Canadian or British or any European model, would be cheaper, better, and promote much better health than this broken, corrupt system that we have.
1: On that note, should we open up the phone lines? Sure. Okay. Okay. This is the Local Coronavirus Update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. And uh, we're going to open up the phone lines for your calls. 707-895-2448 is the number. 707-895-2448. You can also send us an email at DJ, as in disc jockey dj at kzyx.org. Are
2: they still discs?
1: Um, really? We have discs. Yeah, okay. We've got yeah. all sorts of discs.
2: Yeah, I, know. I know we do here at KZYX, <laughs> but really.
1: <laughs> I don't know about the <laughs> jockey part, but it's all good. Um, let's take our first call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi.
4: I have two questions. One is, or, or actually just maybe situations that I would appreciate comments on because I found them sort of unsettling. Um, The first one is a case of of, uh, a teenager in school who tested um, negative twice on a Wednesday and a Thursday on on a a rapid test and then on a Friday tested positive on a PCR test. Um, So that's the first situation. And the other situation uh, is uh, two 17-year-old teenagers, uh, both double vaccinated and double boosted, very sick. So, can you just talk a bit about that to take away my unease about this, hopefully, about this situation?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, vaccinated and I'm not sure. I mean, the boosters just came out, so I'm I'm surprised to hear that they're already boosted for teenagers, actually. But, uh, you know, vaccinated children um, have a very low risk of getting very sick. Now, your definition of very sick and my definition of very sick may differ. Um, I tend to call people who are very sick those who are hospitalized or even in the ICU. I doubt that that's the scenario with these two teenagers, because that is very, very rare. And to have two people in this county that are hospitalized, Hospitalized as children, uh, who are vaccinated, would fall outside of what I would predict. Now that could happen because you know weird things happen, and statistics aren't exactly um, you know ironclad in their predictions. Um, as for your weirdness in the testing, you know there there will be testing oddities, right? I mean I have seen more than a few people who are living in close quarters in the same house with a whole bunch of people who are all COVID positive, and this person will come in and say, I've tested 10 times and I'm COVID negative. I even had symptoms that were COVID-like and I'm still testing negative. What's going on? And I give my very expertise sort of late in medical answer and I say, I don't know, um, but you look like you're okay, so go home. Um, and so, you know, the two negative tests and then a positive test, it sounds like that. You can't really ignore a positive test. Um, false pos- positives are very rare with all All three of these tests. False negatives are much more common. And when I say false positive, so if you have a positive test, you can safely presume that you have been exposed and you are carrying uh, the coronavirus. Whether your symptoms are from the coronavirus, if you're symptomatic, I don't know because I have been seeing a lot of people with both the flu and coronavirus these days, or with RSV and the coronavirus. Because you know the flu and these other respiratory viral illnesses are amongst us, as is COVID, and so people are you know testing positive for multiple viruses when. We we sort of run a more expensive, broader assay on people that were kind of worried about in the emergency room.
4: Yeah, I, I guess my question was, you know, the reliability of the rapid test. I mean, you've already talked about that, but I, I don't know. I just sort of. Shook me up that in such short successions, two negatives and then suddenly a positive. Yeah, it's
2: it's yeah. It, it's frustrating, right? And it's uh, it is unsettling. I you know I I wouldn't ascribe too much. You know again you know a conclusion by anecdote can get fairly fraught pretty quickly. This is unusual, right. but unusual things are happening all the time around this strain. Um, and you know what is remarkably unusual is that you know two months ago we didn't even really know what Omicron was, and here we are now. You know talking about mm. 500. Cases in this county having it, you know, spread around the world from we think South Africa in just two months. I mean, it's this is an unusual time. Um, you know, the the, the, the old curse "may you live in interesting times" is amongst us to be sure.
4: Thank you, thank you for that. And can you please reiterate your
2: call for people to mask up properly? I know, right? I mean, two years in, and it's still <laughs> it's still um, seemingly very difficult for people to keep the mask on. I mean, in the emergency room, we're constantly dealing with people coming in with you know neck gaiters and you know COVID symptoms, and you know mm. it's Ooh, that just gives me you know, the, or or the mask around their neck or on their forehead. It really does, folks. Need to cover the nose and the mouth, and frankly the bandanas and the gaiters and all those home sort of things that look like they might work um don't you need you really do need to wear a, a real mask or like um,
1: pulling your t-shirt up over your nose to yeah or, go into yeah, the mini mark holding
2: your breath that's what i usually just do yeah yeah that always
1: works okay we'll take our next call thanks caller. good morning caller. you're live on the air hello that's you hello we can hear hello? you hello yes it's you is that me it is you
5: okay uh i just had one quick question uh i have a provider in ukiah that wants me to go into the hospital at howard for a test just to see something i'm not sick or anything it's just a test he has me do once in a while and i was wondering if i should postpone that until after this omicron thing dies down or if it would be safe for me to come in for this mri
2: yeah, it's I, I I wouldn't defer health maintenance, so pre- presuming that you are you know vaccinated and boosted. Even um, the the risks of deferring any sort of health maintenance uh, exams and testing that is deemed to be necessary. Now I'm not going to get into your specifics, but you know found to be necessary for anybody. Um, I at this point I would not defer it with with one exception. I, I the, my exception would be if you are legitimately immune suppressed in some way, um, even if you're vaccinated and boosted, I I would sit tight for the next few weeks. Um, This is going to be a quick surge, um, and you probably can get through for the next couple of weeks until things quiet down, and then you can emerge from your your COVID-safe cave or shell that you're hiding under um, until until this wave crashes over us and crash it crash it is and crash it will. Um but it's you know it's I think that would be my only uh, exception to the rule that you should go ahead and get your teeth cleaned and get the MRIs or the blood tests or whatever else is needed to continue to monitor and otherwise preserve you know overall decently good health. Okay. Well that answers my question and I sure appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much.
1: Yep. All right, thanks for Bye-bye. the call. We have an email question here. Uh, What recommendations does Dr. Drew have for outside meals with other vaccinated and boosted non-symptomatic adults? For instance, two couples having dinner outside. What is the risk or recommendation for distance between people while eating and drinking unmasked? Or is it too risky even with six feet or even greater eight feet distancing? Thanks so much for the program.
2: Yeah, so that's that's a good question. I think it's a lot, one that a lot of us are still asking, um, especially with this you know atypical winter weather here. Or should we say the new normal? Um, you mean it's gorgeous? It's gorgeous and yeah. not rainy. Yeah. So it, it's it's hard to say, right? Really. I mean, six feet is probably not enough with Omicron, honestly. Um, outside? Outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is if this adult cohort, which sounds to be fairly small, is fully vaccinated and boosted, the absolute risks of somebody coming to that dinner party asymptomatic shedding virus is quite low indeed. And even if that um, threshold were met and somebody does come to the dinner party shedding virus, um, not knowingly, uh, the risk of somebody in that group getting really sick from contracting COVID is, in fact, quite low. You could minimize the risk. Um, well, you can minimize the risk by not doing it, but that's not your question. But you could minimize the risk by everybody just doing a quick PCR test beforehand. Um, and then I think you would have reduced that risk to a completely negligible uh, You mean level.
1: the antigen test? I'm
2: sorry, the quick antigen test. Yes, I Keep.
1: i know the difference yes
2: sad but sad but true yeah, <laughs> yeah so just a rapid home test um you know right beforehand and right. you know then that that it's not as we know um absolute but i think you could rely on that in a way that would allow you to get together outside unmasked safely and enjoy some food and wine well that's good news
1: yeah let's take our next call 895-2448 hello caller you're live on the air well that's good news that's you
4: 9-5-2-4-4-8. Oh, Hello. Hello. Uh, Hello. Am I on? You are on. You are on. Yes. Okay. Um, I am wondering. I have two people in my life who tested uh, positive for COVID recently and then had negative antigen tests, and I'm wondering how soon they could get it again. Get COVID again? Yeah. They're what? both fully vaccinated,
2: boosted. Yeah, I mean it's it's not clear honestly. Um the you know, the immunity is strong in them right now if you will, um to use a Star Wars metaphor. Um but you know, it theoretically they could get it again, you know, shortly after they've recovered from their current illness. Um that is unlikely to lead to a symptomatic uh, illness because they all have just recovered, but it's still possible. Um you know, so it's 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 hard to say with this strain. I mean, it's come upon us too fast and is moving too quickly, and we don't have enough data yet to really know whether you can get reinfected and have some sort of symptomatic um, Omicron illness um, or not. Um, but... I don't see any reason why that will not be possible we saw reinfections with delta and i imagine we'll see reinfections with omicron it just tends to be kind of like a bouncing ball model right the first illness is going to be more severe and then the second bounce of the COVID illness is going to be less high and less high and less high and so you know your your two colleagues or family members um you know may get reinfected if they're not Careful, And if they're, you know, going into social settings where people have Omicron, um, but the risk of them being symptomatic is proportionally significantly decreased. And we know, you know, particularly in people who are vaccinated, um, and have had, um, COVID, particularly Omicron at this point, um, that your immunity is quite good. Um, it is it is at very high levels of, um, you know, assay titered measures in, in big labs that don't exist here in little Mendocino County. Um, but, you know, whether that is sufficiently protective to prevent a s- symptomatic illness in a small fraction of unlucky people, probably not.
4: Yeah, my question isn't as much about whether they're symptomatic or not, but whether they will be contagious
2: if they get reinfected, yeah, yeah. No, if they get reinfected, of course they will, I guess. Yes, but. the answer is yes. Um, you know, we know that people who are vaccinated uh, are probably around fifty percent like less likely to be shedding the virus that gets other people infected. So you know, that's a that's sort of the social medicine or the public health policy for really pushing for vaccine mandates um you know the individual protection is obviously important as well but the risk of transmission drops if you're vaccinated these two people are vaccinated and then also um you know have natural immunity on top of that so they're going to potentially be spreading the virus but you know they're they're pretty safe for the rest of us at that point
4: uh-huh and how soon have people gotten reinfected after, say, Delta? I guess the that the yeah. data isn't in on Omicron yet. But yeah, how
2: please. people were getting re, reinfected. I mean, it it wasn't common to be sure. But you know, within a month or three weeks, even people would test negative and then test positive again. It didn't happen all that often, really. I mean, you get you get COVID, um, and if you do get another infection. Um, oftentimes it went undetected, um, Uh I would submit, because people just wouldn't know it or wouldn't test, um, and then it moved right through them um, in a way that was fairly benign. But it certainly can be expected to be plausible within, you know, days or weeks of your recovery.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. All right. Thanks for the question. Um, We have an email question. How many of the false negative home tests are operator error? Can you please (laughs) reiterate the correct techniques for taking the sample?
2: yeah so it's I, that's a good question i it's hard to say really um what percentage are in fact due to operator error. it's
1: not rocket science though you just swirl it around in your nose and yeah you gotta yeah you, know, you
2: gotta follow the directions pretty carefully little, yeah. you know you you really do and you know you have to do a few drops and then you have to let it sit and you have to watch the time and all that but it's true that the the main the main failure is going to come with the actual swabbing of the nostril and it's not particularly unpleasant it's not not like the deep pharyngeal swab that we are doing um, early on, you know, that we had put in this very skinny Q-tip that would go in, you know, three inches or so. Um, but it does need to be a fairly good swipe of the external nares for all of these tests. And if you do that, um, the way they show you um, in their little pictures, in their little wordless diagram, then that, that's adequately good. What percentage is operator error? Probably over 50, frankly. Yeah, the assay's pretty good. So I think, you know, I think there's a fairly high degree of just an inadequate sample uh, resulting in some of these false negatives.
1: Do they have ones that are the oral swabs for at home?
2: i don't know they might um i know they have i know they exist i just haven't seen any um around here i'm not even sure if any have been released into um, production at this point
1: okay let's take our next call this is the local coronavirus update we'll be here till 10 o'clock so we got a lot of time a lot of time questions.
2: so many questions
1: hello caller you're live on the air
0: till. Of- hello you. hello <laughs> hello um i was wondering if there is available
2: an antibody test an anti an antibody test to see if you have immunity yeah there
0: is i mean it's not it it, there
2: it's not just a one size fits all test so you're not like testing your red blood it's not like testing your red blood cell count for example you get a red blood cell count you kind of know how many red blood cells you have in, in your system now Kind of, to take that analogy a little bit further, there are lots of different kinds of red blood cells. And so you can really tease that out if you're a hematologist and talk about various forms of red blood cells and how many you have if you have some sort of, you know, marrow disorder. Likewise, with antibody tests, there are a lot of different antibody tests, um, and interpreting them and making sense of them um, is difficult, uh, to say the least. Um, It's certainly not something that I could recommend or even speak to knowledgeably on the air, because the data on this is fairly incomplete, and the, the... the interpretation of any result as to how it translates to actual um, immunity um, is really poorly understood. So you might have antibodies, but whether they are active antibodies that are giving you concrete immunity uh, is another question. And uh, most immunologists, I would submit, don't have a good handle on what that means uh, when you get a positive or a, a panel of positive antibody tests. But they're out there. You can you could probably find a provider who will order you an antibody test. But you know, caveat one
0: that will indicate in some way your resistance to COVID.
2: No, no. It might it might indicate that you have been you know either exposed or vaccinated for COVID, which you probably are aware of um, without that test. And so, my. My general recommendation is don't bother, um, really, because it isn't sufficiently reliable. It's not sufficiently probative, if you will, to guide any future actions that you might want to take. Um, And so it's, it's not a... Test that would help um, you or help one decide what to do. Um, and, you know, it's, that's the same with tests that we get all the time. And I, you know, one of my conversations as an ER doctor is people come in with back pain, right? We all have painful backs and people want MRIs. And, you know, I, I have to explain to people that yes, you might want an MRI, but the only reason to get an MRI is if it's going to lead to potential surgery. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's not a test that is going to guide any action, then you don't need to get the test. And it's the same with these antibodies, there's just not a good enough data, there's not a good enough understanding of how they are working to guide your individual behaviors. With an asterisk, um, an antibody test or a panel antibody tests um, might be a good idea for somebody who's on you know, immune suppression drugs. Um, that would be reasonable. It could guide your sort of argument that you should get a fourth or fifth or sixth or tenth booster shot to try to bring your immune response up into a reasonable level. Um, that's really not gained traction um, either at the local level or at the national level, but there's pretty good evidence to show that that should in fact be done.
4: Thank you very much.
2: All right,
1: thanks for the call. Good morning caller, you are live on the air.
3: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, Dr. Koufax, I need your advice. I've had all three. I've had two shots on a booster. I'm 80 years old. I get tested regularly. I just lost uh, my health care provider in Fort Bragg, she's moving, and I have no local health care where I live in Gualala, and I'm supposed to ride the senior bus to a dermatology clinic in a week to have a biopsy of possible skin cancer, and then I, if I do, I'll have to go back to the dermatology clinic to have surgery. Is this a bad time? Should I, should I postpone this? Well, I have no local support.
2: No, yeah, it's... It's not a good time, right? To be sure, um, but a possible skin cancer could possibly be, you know, melanoma. The other flavors are less urgent, honestly. Um, but if there's a possibility of skin cancer, then that means there's a possibility of a melanoma. Um, you're fully vaccinated and boosted, um, and so I think your risk benefit ratio augers toward your going and getting this biopsy. I'd wear an N95 um, or a K N95 might even double mask, um, but knowing how few dermatologists there are in Northern California and how hard it is to get in to see them and to get an appointment, I'm not sure that I would cancel and have it be rescheduled, you know, for May or June, which is probably what trajectory you would be on if you canceled.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay, great. Thank okay. you very much. You're Thank welcome.
2: You. Be well.
1: Okay. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Okay.
3: Um,
5: Yeah, I'm calling because I want to know if we know of anybody out there or if there are groups of people that cannot get it, you know, that just even if they're exposed, can just don't get it.
2: Don't get COVID at all? Have some sort of super immunity that? causes them to not get it yeah i mean yeah yeah so there 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 are certainly right so there are a lot of people I and mean, when you say not get it i it, it's a little bit hard to interpret what you mean if you mean that the virus just doesn't enter their nasal passageways no um that's going to No, happen. I, I
5: mean basically i mean if they get exposed and get the virus in them yeah they just do not catch the virus as a disease they just Don't
2: have any. It doesn't do anything at all. Yeah, no, that that is actually very common, right? That that's what we would you know refer to as sort of the asymptomatic exposed patient, right? So there are a lot of us, particularly now that we're seeing Omicron, particularly now that we're seeing Omicron in a population that has you know a fairly high degree of immunity. There are a lot of us who are being exposed to COVID, myself included, um, who remains completely asymptomatic with negative tests i'm sure that i have inhaled the virus over the course of the last five nights there is no doubt about that um but i'm not mounting an immune response because my body is um being able to tie it off right it's being able to respond to it in a way um, that just doesn't allow the virus to replicate in any way whatsoever and but you're vaccinated right I am vaccinated, yes.
5: Well, I meant people unvaccinated.
2: Yeah, so there are going to be people who are unvaccinated whose natural immunity is going to be sufficient enough to prevent them from having a significant illness. Um, That will happen. It is, you know, for many, if not most, a fairly benign illness. And a significant fraction of people are not even going to know that they were exposed, right? And so... You know, and, and a fraction of those people, even when they're exposed and have sort of a very mild or an asymptomatic infection, aren't going to be shedding the virus. Um, that that will happen. That has happened. And that will continue to happen, particularly with this more mild strain. Um, and so the answer, you know, in short is yes. Um, and going forward, that's going to become more norm, uh, more the norm, you know, amongst us who have either natural or induced or some hybrid immunity.
1: Uh, Here's here's a follow-up question from email. Um, What seems to be the likelihood of long COVID after positivity with the Omicron variant?
2: Stay tuned. (laughs) Very short answer. I don't know. Nobody knows because we've only had Omicron for eight weeks. Right. So we just don't
1: know if Yeah, if we we just don't know. In, yeah. No. I mean,
2: for all we know, Omicron's going to be worse for long COVID than Delta, um even though it's a more mild acute illness. That's that's certainly possible. I have no biological plausible basis for that supposition, but we just don't know we just don't know it
1: could be it could not be we don't know could tarnish that armor a little bit yes um (laughs) okay let's take another call this is the local coronavirus update uh the phone number here in the studio is 707-895-2448 dr drew colfax in the house hello caller you're live on the air
3: Oh, great. Good morning. I'm Carrie Ann from Fort Bragg Medicino. Oh. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Dr. Drew. So I'm a home health care worker, and my next shift, I canceled my last weekend shift. I was exposed on the 13th, had symptoms on the 14th. Um, the only PCR test I can find right now is not going to produce results until maybe even seven days. So the rapid tests are coming back negative, and I do have those odd symptoms that are uh, that, that are, um Known for omicron that
2: like weird backache and uh, bouncing fever
3: so i'm sorry did, I
2: cancel my- did you say did fever I-
3: yeah yeah
2: yeah so i, I think you need to I- your fevers need to abate um and if you're a home health right. aide, um taking care of people that need home health aids right. um you know, you probably need to have at least five days of uh, convalescence after the resolution of your symptoms um, before before going back to work. That that's that would be my recommendation. And the the guidelines are, you know, muddled to be sure and and shifting. Um, yeah you know, right. but it's it's if you're still running fevers, the the other sort of more diffuse um, symptoms, um, sort of the long aches or the the headaches or the chest pain or sort of the mild, vague shortness of breath that a lot of people experience um, as they recover from this illness, I think you can set aside but a, but a fever is a fairly hard finding um, that needs to go away entirely before you can start to count the days down before you can return to work.
3: Okay, okay, because I'm I'm getting all these negative tests back, and so I can't. I mean, there's almost no proof that I have it, and everybody's saying that you know, oh, you might just be stressed out. I'm like, this isn't helping. You know, I don't know if I'm contagious or not. No, you No, know? right, and we are
2: we are all stressed to be sure, but stress doesn't lead to a temperature of 101, right? And so, yeah, so you know, it's it, that 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 is what I would tell people. I'm like, yes, I'm stressed, but I am running a fever, and so that's that's a pretty hard finding. I mean, we all have back pain when we're stressed um, or, you know, other symptoms. But uh, the fever in the setting of a known COVID illness, you know, where there was a positive test, I, I think you just have to unfortunately hang your hat on that still until that until that resolves. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm OK
3: with that. I just wanted to you know make sure I can give my um, give my boss some. Some legitimate scientific
2: basis for me not coming in again yeah well okay. you know i i guess i'll have to pass for that at this point but uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> do the best we can thank you so much for the call bye guys Bye. Bye. All right, let's take uh, another email. Um, My colleague is finishing up his 10-day quarantine after a positive COVID test. He's fully vaccinated and boosted and had mild symptoms. Is it a bad idea to share a vehicle with him fully masked with KN95s for a half-hour drive on day 11?
2: No, I think that's fine. Yep, go for it.
1: (laughs) Signed off. Yep, check. (laughs) Check. Okay, well, that was easy. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air.
5: Hi, I wonder if you guys could comment on the VAERS report, the CDC uh, VAERS,
2: yes, I, vaccine, the self-reporting vaccine adverse outcome data log. Yes, go ahead.
5: Yeah, there was there was a, a thing on one of your sister stations that was using that to prove that the vaccines were killing people, and I wondered if you could clarify that on the air. Um.
2: yeah, I mean I it's it's hard to go through that whole wormhole over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um but the to, to sort of put it in context, the Vares is Kind of is the reporting, it's the data um, assembly reporting system that the federal government has for all vaccines. And people can self report um, symptoms or adverse outcomes that may be temporally proximate to being vaccinated of any sort, so not just Omicron or Delta or COVID in general. Um, and then that data is analyzed and studied by, you know, primarily epidemiologists and public health folks at the CDC to see if there are trends emerging from it that make any sense. Um, And that has been ongoing for, what, now 13 months with our having had this uh, COVID vaccine or these COVID vaccines. Um, The data remains very robust. And we're talking now, what, Six hundred million doses administered in this country, more or less, all on the back of an envelope. Uh, the data remains very good. That these vaccines are extremely safe. Um, they are seeing some adverse events from the vaccines. We've all, you know, heard about these because they have been touted and trumpeted and discussed, you know, ad nauseum. The biggest one is myocarditis, or sort of an inflammatory condition of the heart. Um, that's the most common, most scary-sounding. There's also a very low risk, particularly with the J&J vaccine, of, of blood clots being formed, particularly in the cavernous sinus, so a very rare, uncommon kind of blood clot in sort of the main vein draining the brain. Um, that's a very bad complication, also very, very rare with the J&J. Um, but the rest of the stuff is really just noise. It's just white noise that's being fed into a machine that is by its nature um, supposed to suck up all of that noise and then it gets filtered by you know, the scientists and the sort of mechanisms that they have to figure out if there are real adverse outcomes. And that data um is quite clear that these vaccines have saved you know millions of lives and thousands or hundreds of millions of hospital days um in this nation um i maybe not millions of lives but probably close to it actually at this point particularly with this omicron um and so you know the the number of deaths that i think can be attributed to the vaccine um legitimately attributed to the vaccine is probably under a hundred in this country um it may even be close to zero, but it is quite low when you look at it in the context of, you know, 2,000 nationwide deaths from COVID right now per yeah. day.
5: Yeah, I think the point is that um, people anti-vaxxers are quoting it as uh, as every death that's reported is uh, supposedly related to COVID, which it's not. It's like it could be deaths from any number of diseases that occurred around the time the person was vaccinated. Yes, idea. no,
2: exactly. Right. And that, and that that's the problem with the with the, I mean that's that's the reality of that self-reporting system. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not clean data because it's self-reported and it doesn't have any of those filters, which is kind of how you want it to be by design because you want to catch as much information as lousy as it is. Um yeah to sort of catch trends um you know similarly you know there is a cohort amongst us who feel that covid deaths are overreported because you know anybody with covid or a lot of people with covid who are coming into the hospital who are dying are going to be characterized as a covid-related death and there probably are some particularly omicron now who are being recorded as covid-related deaths um nationwide that are really just dying from more from other things right so comorbidities people are having heart attacks and they have covid it doesn't mean that they you know had a heart attack and died from covid Um, But the asterisk on that and sort of the real rebuttal is if you look at excess mortality in this country over the course of the last two years, it is actually much greater than the number of COVID deaths that have been documented and reported. So we know that COVID is causing at least the 850,000 deaths in this country. And it's probably a number that is about 50 percent higher than that when you look at excess mortality over the course of the last two years. So it's it's. It's there's lots of ways to go down a wormhole, and you can cherry pick data off of any internet site that yeah. allows you to, you know, confirm your bias, um, and that's easy to do. It's just not terribly helpful, right? Yeah,
5: well, it gets it gets terribly distorted, and yes. I, I think the inc- the actual incidence of deaths, reported deaths, is even like point zero zero one eight percent of those vaccinated.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's extremely low. I mean, it's even lower now with Omicron, right? And this is, you know, for for we who are vaccinated and boosted, this is a very benign illness, honestly. It's just there's a lot of it, and we're only at about 65% nationwide vaccine uptake. Um, And so, you know, it's still serious enough for the unvaccinated. And unfortunately, if you have the entire country getting an illness all in the same month, then even the vaccinated, you know, there'll be a small number of vaccinated vaccinated who are unlucky enough to get really sick and that will happen risk factors are no
5: all right well, we're depending on you to make it go away okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> i i wish i had the power yeah. all right thank you no so magic much caller. You. okay bye bye
1: hello caller you're live on the air okay go away
5: hello, is this me that is yeah i have a kind of a silly question i know there's a uh, beneficial bacteria are there any beneficial viruses
2: no that is i don't think that's a silly question at all that's a very interesting question and boy off the top of my head having never thought about that question before i'm not sure that there are um but i think i should probably say i'm not sure that they have been identified as beneficial um You know, there's certainly, as as you point out correctly, a lot of very beneficial bacteria. And if you lose your good bacteria, then you're in the world of harm. Um, But in terms of losing your good viruses, yeah, I'm not sure that that actually exists. Um, There's certainly not a lot of data out there to support that hypothesis. But it's an interesting question. It's a good mind experiment. Um, You know, let me know if you find the answer in your um, Google searches.
5: Okay, I will. Thank
2: you.
1: (laughs) Right. Highly contagious, makes you smarter, something like that? Well, you know, yes. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
3: Good morning. I wear an N95 for work,
4: and condensation occurs inside the mask. My question is, does that condensation reduce the effectiveness of the N95? Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The answer is no, um, it doesn't. Um, the failure point on N95s in general is going to be the seal around the face. Um, so, you know, around the nose, under the chin, that's, that's where the failure point is. And, you know, we all, a lot of us wear an N95s now. Um, pre-pandemic, each N95 was supposed to be custom fitted by a respiratory therapist to a provider's face to make sure it was the right size and model that was working in a way that it was in the way it's intended. That has that has fallen by the wayside for, you know, all of us who are not in healthcare settings, which is fine, but the condensation is not going to um cause a decreased level of effectiveness, at least not over the short term. Now, if you're using the same N ninety five over and over again and it's getting wet over and over again, I think you may anticipate that it will lose some degree of effectiveness over time. I would, I would be fairly diligent about getting it off your face when you don't need it on your face. Um, that's probably not a problem for any of us. Um, and then letting it dry, um, it, you know, out in an open air sort of area uh, before reusing it. You don't want to keep it continuously sort of damp because that might actually start to impact it. But it's... Yeah, you know, it's it's a marginal question really the the bigger failure point is just the fit
1: it's just breathing the breath coming out the sides or something yes, like that yes. um okay well we have less than three minutes left so it's your well,
2: call lines are lit up let's just go for it one okay, quickie yeah. okay
1: hello caller do you have a quick question yeah am i live on you, are, you live, are live and we have very few minutes
0: I'll try to make it quick. I love this program, and I have been very frightened from the get-go because I have, have, was diagnosed um, with asthma, allergy, sinusitis, kind of this triad thing. And in the beginning, they were saying, watch out, asthmatics. And then um, so I was very, very careful for the for the year, 18 months or so, and then with Omicron, I feel a little bit less frightened, which is really nice. I feel so fearful all the time. But I'm wondering what you're seeing in those patients that have that sort of asthma, sinusitis, allergies, um, sort of almost, I have like almost scar tissue in my lungs. So ongoing adult asthma allergy situation and what you're seeing, if you're seeing anything in Omicron and if I can afford to let my guard down slightly, although I'm double-vaxxed, boosted, masked all the time and all of that, um, yeah. certainly least but- so that, that's a good question.
2: I mean, you would think, right, we all thought initially that, you know, the, the asthmatics, particularly since this is primarily a respiratory illness or it's a illness that is transmitted through the respiratory tract, we thought that the asthmatics would be at high risk. And the degree of risk um, with the previous strains and certainly with Omicron has proven to be much lower than initially feared or anticipated. There is still an increased risk for the severe asthmatics, so people who are on chronic steroid suppression therapy. People are hospitalized multiple times a year. Those asthmatics are at increased risk of doing poorly with this. But unless you're in that category, um, your risks are actually much lower than initially feared or anticipated. And in your case, if you're vaccinated and boosted, I think you can at least mitigate or tamp down that anxiety and fear that you've been carrying for a year and a half you know you are on the we are on the downside of this pandemic at least for now um and the 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 fear that we've been carrying the anxiety that we've all been struggling with i think we can anticipate letting go of at least for you know the short term um within the next few a few months
1: all right, that is gonna do it. This Boy, has right been down to the, the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. I'm Alicia Bales live in the studio. We'll be back in two weeks. Gonna take one week off, so we'll see you on February first. Thanks for listening. This has been the Local Coronavirus Update Podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax. Produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also hear us live on the web at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us every first and third Tuesday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions to dj at kzyx.org. And you can always listen to our podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stumptown, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.